Good morning. Good morning. A warm welcome this morning as we begin our service of Holy Eucharist Rite 2, which is found on the first page of your seasonal booklet. Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. O God, you declare your almighty power chiefly in showing mercy and pity. Grant us the fullness of your grace that we, running to obtain your promises, may become partakers of your heavenly treasure. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated for the readings. Our first reading is from Amos. Alas, for those who are at ease in Zion, and for those who feel secure on Mount Samaria. Alas, for those who lie on the beds of ivory, and lounge on their couches, and eat lambs from the flock, and calves from the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp, and, like David, improvise on instruments of music, who drink wine from bowls, and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they shall now be the first to go into exile, and the revelry of the loungers shall pass away. The word of the Lord. Please join me in reading Psalm 146, found in our Scripture Bulletin. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in rulers, nor in any child of earth, for there is no help in them. When they breathe their last, they return to the earth, and in that day their thoughts perish. Happy are they who have the God of Jacob for their help, whose hope is in the Lord their God, who made heaven and earth, the seas and all that is in them, who keeps his promise forever who gives justice to those who are oppressed and food to those who hunger. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord cares for the stranger. He sustains the orphan and widow, but frustrates the way of the wicked. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, throughout all generations. Alleluia. Our second reading is from Timothy. Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires 
that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, man of God, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the right time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. It is he alone who has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said to the Pharisees, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was <coughs> and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and sent Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are happy. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not so they will not also come into this place of torment. 
Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be seated. If you cannot find Christ at the beggar at the church door, you will not find him in the chalice. This was a quote by St. John Chrysostom, who was a 4th century Archbishop of Constantinople, for whom if we, you do morning prayer, you'll notice there is the prayer of St. Chrysostom. He was known as, Chrysostom is a Greek word for the golden-tongued. That quote is quite telling. If you cannot find Christ in the beggar at the church door, you will not find him in the chalice. Today we heard one of, probably one of the most disturbing parables in the gospel, sometimes called Lazarus and the Dives or Lazarus and the Rich Man. It's one that we can often get distracted by some of the pretty graphic images that Jesus puts out there about these two men. He says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And his, his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. Now Jesus sets out this parable of these two polar opposite figures. The rich man, who interestingly remains unnamed, and Lazarus, this is quite typical of Luke's fact of the Gospel of Luke's fashion, where Luke likes to switch social conventions. You know, going back to the song of Mary, cast down the mighty from the thrones, lifted up the poor and lowly. And so here, in our world, you think about it, if history were to record two men, one of two men, who would it be? Would it be this rich man or the beggar at his door? Probably be the rich guy, right? The one who makes history. But what does Luke do here? He never actually names the rich man. And in fact, the story really is about this person who often by society would be invisible, right? You know, the beggar would just kind of walk by or drive by. And yet, that is the central figure here. <clears throat> And it's probably, what's also interesting is the name Lazarus, which, by the way, I don't know, nobody really knows if this is referring to the same Lazarus who came back from the dead. That's Lazarus of Bethany. Although it's interesting because at the end, the rich guy does say, can you send this guy back from the dead? Which does put an interesting twist on that thought, but who knows? It turns out the name Lazarus was not an uncommon name. Uh, it's a Latinized version of the Hebrew name Eleazar, which uh, literally means God has helped this one. So there's probably some intentionality in that. 
was also the name of the first high priest after Aaron in Leviticus. <clears throat> so the other thing that's really interesting about Jesus setting up in this parable, in this first sentence, is the opposite lifestyles, right? So the rich guy, he wears purple robes he, and linen, he feasts sumptuously every day, and then here's this other guy who just would be happy if something would fall off this guy's table. And then, of course, Jesus says, who here even, who in this story in Lazarus's life actually shows compassion for him by cleaning his wounds? The dogs, right? So the only, which kind of makes sense. I mean, you know, they're dogs, right? Anyway, yeah, the dogs are the only ones showing compassion to this guy. So, go on. The poor man died. He was carried away by the angels to Abraham. The rich man also died. And what Jesus says is, he was buried. So you have this kind of glorious ending for the one, and eh, it was a little anticlimactic. So we have the fate of each of their death. So what's interesting about this is Jesus never actually tells us why Lazarus goes to be with Abraham and the rich guy doesn't. We assume, make some assumptions here, we assume it's because maybe God has a preference for the poor and marginalized, and the rich guy was indifferent to suffering. It's reminding that we heard in our reading from 1 Timothy today about how the rich should act and not be caught. Here we have this great line, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Just in case you didn't know, that was from the Bible. There it is. You know, it's actually funny because people misquote this all the time. They think money is the root of all evil. I saw something one time that said, well, why do churches ask for money if, the, if money is the root of all evil? Well, because it's not the root of all evil. It's the love of money, which is the root of all evil. And that's an interesting point because it, it tells us that it's misdirecting where our love should be. So we don't really know why the rich guy ends up in the fate he ends up, but we can make an assumption here. So it goes on, it says, in Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip his finger in water to cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. So a couple things about this piece. One, uh, the word Hades there is Gethana. It, it refers to a garbage dump just outside Jerusalem where they were burning trash, which is kind of an interesting... So we kind of, you know, in our cultural memory, right, you know, we've, we've been born with 2,000 years of Christian thought and sometimes things that kind of go awry and things that sort of seep in. And so we imagine like this is hell and all the flames and actually what Jesus is talking about is like he's basically in the garbage dump in the incinerator pile. So he's refuse. But he can still see it out. And then I actually, this is probably the best part of the whole story because even though the rich guy is separated from Abraham, even though, like, he should be able to figure out what went wrong in his life, he clearly does not understand the core message of the gospel here, because who does he want to come and serve him? Lazarus. Send Lazarus. You know, that guy who's below my station. 
you know, when life should have been serving me, but instead was out, you know, laying out in the gate suffering and dying? What was he thinking? Well, he should at least help me now. You know, I mean, it's just kind of mind-blowing, but you think about this whole mentality, like he still has not figured it out. As if even in hell, the world's supposed to bend to his needs. And if we're to understand anything about this passage, it is that in God's realm, there are no stations or social statuses. No one is better than another, even if the world holds one in higher esteem. And while this line in the story may feel like a little bit of a baseball moment, right? Like, come on, come on, man, you can get this. But how many of you actually caught it? I mean, how many? I probably would have caught it if I hadn't, hadn't been pointed out to me one time. It's We're so ingrained in this idea of station, even in what we think of as an egalitarian culture, it's easy to read right over that and miss it. But Abraham has a reply for that rich guy. He says, child, remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, received evil things. But now, he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us is a great chasm that has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. So he's saying this is Lazarus's turn for comfort, and he cannot cross it to serve someone, nor should he have to. It's simply not what God's realm is about. And it's really interesting because this would be quite a stark difference from, you would imagine, what other religions of ancient times would have believed. I mean, now, this might not be a, uh, this may have been a bit before historically, but you could imagine in, like, the ancient Egyptian uh, religion, you know, the pharaoh gets this big pyramid, right? Because what happens to the pharaoh in the afterlife? He gets to climb up the pyramid to heaven, and then, you know, his servants who died before him get buried with him because guess why? Right, yeah. So, you know, yay! <laughs> right? So, in stark contrast with every other religion of Jesus' day and before, where the stations in life would have extended into the afterlife, but Jesus is saying, this is not how God's realm works. This is not the way of our God. So then the rich man, he's starting to get it, but he doesn't quite. He says, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house. So he's still on this. Lazarus needs to do something, right? Lazarus still needs to help me out. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. It's a really important point here. Because this line about Moses and the prophets is incredibly important. It's interesting. It's a very easy fallacy to fall into to imagine the Old Testament 
is this one of a wrathful, angry God. A lot of people think this, and they proclaim this, because they might read bits and pieces here and then think, oh, look at this. The problem with this is it really misses the Old Testament. In fact, the belief that the Old Testament God was this angry, wrathful God, the New Testament God is this good God, which a lot of people believe was actually an early church heresy called Marcionism, named for a guy named Marcion, not Martian. But it was this idea that, and it was actually anti-Semitic too, and that was another whole problem with it. But this idea that there were sort of two separate gods or two separate testaments and somehow Jesus and Paul were okay and the old God wasn't so good. But this completely misses the Old Testament. It misses words that we heard from Amos today saying, alas, to those who are living in comfort, but do not grieve the fall of Joseph, meaning do not grieve those who are lying poor at the gate of the city. It misses Leviticus's command to love God's people and love their neighbors and to care for others' property and to forgive debts and to, all the, to welcome the foreigner and the stranger and all those things that the Torah commands God's people that are all about compassion. In fact, it is true. The rich man had Moses and the prophets and should have listened to them. And then the rich man replies, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And then Abraham replies, you've got to pay attention to this one. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Which, of course, who is it that the world is to listen to that rises from the dead? There you go. He actually turns it, so Jesus there at the end of this parable turns it back on himself and says, you who do not believe in the resurrection will not believe me when I rise from the dead. This parable is not really so much about heaven and hell, and it's not really trying to scare us into doing right. What it is about, it is about that chasm that human beings can build in our hearts it is so wide it cannot be crossed. It is about seeing one another not as lesser, but as equals in the way that God sees us as equals. It is about using our resources to care for one another. We are called by the gospel, friends, to soften our hearts toward our fellow human beings. We are called to love so deeply that we are, when we are in that presence of unending eternal love, that it feels natural to us. So that we can live in the eternal presence of the one who is love. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining the St. John the Divine podcast. If you're interested in worshiping with us, you can visit us at 9 a.m. at our church, which is at 216 East Chandler Boulevard in Burlington, Wisconsin. 
If you want to learn more about us, you can click the link in the description or visit stjohnthedivine.org. Just remember, we're the one in Burlington, Wisconsin, not the cathedral in New York. Have a great day. Bye.